You are listening to a sermon by Ted Hamilton, Senior Pastor of New Life Presbyterian Church in Escondido, California. For more information about New Life, visit us online at newlifepca.com. That's N-E-W-L-I-F-E-P-C-A dot com. Now to Daniel. We come to the one of the most difficult and controversial passages, uh, certainly in Daniel and perhaps in all of Scripture. Um, a little context, if you were here last week, uh, you may remember that uh, Daniel is praying. He's been studying the Word, in particular the prophet Jeremiah. He's learned that the exile, uh, Israel's exile, is about to end. It was prophesied to be 70 years long. They're close to the end now. Uh, but he's concerned because Israel's still a mess, right? Still, uh, um, the people are still disobedient and rebellious. And so he's praying to the Lord for, that the Lord would have mercy and would forgive his sinning people and allow them to return and rebuild Jerusalem. Now, as our text opens today, that was the first part of Daniel 9. We're now at the second part of Daniel 9. As as we open today, Daniel is still praying. But what we're going to see is God's answer. And that's what we're going to study today, is is how God answered uh, Daniel's prayer. Uh, our text is Daniel nine twenty to 27. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, it's printed for you in the bulletin. And I just ask you to remain seated while you hear God's word. Daniel 9, starting at verse 20. And while I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and presenting my plea before the Lord my God for the holy hill of my God, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the first, came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. He made me understand, speaking with me and saying, O Daniel, I have now come out to give you insight and understanding. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out. And I have come to tell it to you, for you are greatly loved. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. Seventy weeks are decreed about your people in your holy city to finish the transgression to put an end to sin and to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, and to anoint a most holy place. Know, therefore, and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. Then for 62 weeks it shall be built again with squares and moat, but in a troubled time. And after the 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood, and to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed, and he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. And for half the week he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wings of abominations shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. This is the crystal clear word of the Lord. 
we need to pray for uh, insight and understanding. Lord, make your word understandable to us today and where we don't understand it or perhaps where we don't agree among one another, may we yet confidently trust you in those areas to be good and to do all things right because that is what you do. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this text breaks down right into two big parts. There's the, the First, there's the meeting between uh, Daniel and Gabriel at verses 20 to 23. And then there's the message uh, that gets communicated at this meeting. Uh, the message of Gabriel to Daniel, verses 24 to 27. And so that's kind of how I'm going to break it down. We'll look first at the meeting uh, and then at the message. So first the meeting, verses 20 to 23. Uh, Let me just point out quickly four things that you should note here about this meeting. First, Daniel tells us when the meeting happened, right? Verse 21, uh, Gabriel, he says, Gabriel came to him in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. Now, what's interesting about that is that... um, There haven't been any sacrifices, morning or evening, for over half a century, right? Daniel's in Babylon. There certainly aren't sacrifices going on there uh, to to Yahweh, uh, to to Daniel's Lord, uh, and Jerusalem's destroyed, the temple is destroyed, and, and yet he refers, he says Daniel came at the time of the evening sacrifice, what we see here. Uh, is a man whose life has been shaped, has been given structure by the corporate worship uh, of God. It's how he sort of understands his day, his week, right, his life. Um, And so it really, it seems to me, forces us to ask the question, does, does our experience of corporate worship... Does it, does it structure our days, our weeks, our, our months, our life? I remember as a young boy uh, being rousted out of bed by my mom or my dad. They seemed to take turns um, every Sunday morning. Uh, and even if I was awake before they came in, I would pretend to be asleep hoping that they would have mercy on me, let me sleep, and blow off church. Never happened. Never happened. Um, And that discipline, that regular experience uh, of corporate worship uh, came to uh, be the way I sort of understood my week. and and, 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 And it's what I adopted and it shaped me even as I became an adult. I tell the men and women with whom I'm, I do mar- premarital counseling that they really that 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 if they would only do one simple thing, right, as a married couple, if they would just make corporate worship a priority, they and their marriages and their future children would be spiritually ahead of the game. Um, my in-laws, Linda's parents. Uh, her dad was a nominal Christian when they got married. 
they were meeting with their pastor, asked, you know, what, what's, what can we do to ensure that we'll have a good marriage? And, and their pastor said, you, you commit to a church and you go to church every Sunday. And that's what converted my father-in-law. Um, you know, the, the experience of corporate worship does that, and it, and it really gives shape and structure to our lives. That's what we see in Daniel. Second thing, uh, this meeting reminds you of a great truth, and that is that God moves, when you pray, God moves heaven and earth. <laughs> um, verse 23, Gabriel says that right at the beginning of Daniel's prayer, uh, this may be an argument for short prayer, uh, this is one, one of the, a rather long prayer, but he, he's not. He's still at the beginning of the prayer when a decree goes out from the Lord, and 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 Gabriel is is tasked with giving uh, send. Uh, he's sent to Daniel to give him the message. Uh, now, this isn't a promise, of course, that your, your prayers are going to be uh, answered in real time uh, as we experience time, uh, like Daniel's was here. But it is, it's a peek behind the curtain at what happens when you pray. And, and it is a, an, an assurance that God hears and God acts in response to the prayers of his people, Right? When you pray, God sets things in motion. It's, it's, God has decreed that he, he's gonna, he will move and respond and, and, and affect his will through our prayers. Uh, and so he sets things in motion on heaven and on earth. You may not necessarily see it like Daniel did or feel it, uh, but it's real. Be encouraged. Uh, God moves heaven and earth. Third, the reason God moved in response to Daniel's prayer is because God, uh, because, uh, God greatly loved Daniel. See that verse 23? Gabriel tells Daniel words that must have, uh, must have uh, been uh, you know, just overwhelming. You, Daniel, are greatly loved. That's why I'm here. You are greatly loved. Um, but friends, look, if that's true for Daniel, it's true for you, my Christian friends. Uh, in fact, you have even better evidence than Daniel had that go- of, of God's love for you, right? Because he sent his son, Jesus, to live for you, to die for you, to be raised for you. And if he did that because he loved you, you can also know that he will hear and act on, on your prayers. You know, don't, I think it's easy to lose the wonder of that. We throw the word love around a lot. Um, and uh, it kind of loses its edge for us. But so, so I, was try, I was trying to think, you know, if, if an angel showed up and, and said, you know, you know, you are greatly loved, Ted. I mean... How would that hit me? And I and I was I was trying to imagine and what and and then I, what I remembered was how I felt when I f- f- first realized that Linda, right, the girl of my dreams, loved me. Me? Are you kidding me? Right. That's what I was saying. Are you kidding me? 
Uh, right? It was, you know, all at once, it was, it was unbelievable. I felt unworthy and incredibly lucky. Uh, I felt completed. I felt bulletproof. Right? Um, look, if I could be moved by, uh, like that, by Linda's love for me, uh, how much more should I be, be moved by and confident in uh, the love of the Lord of the universe, right? right? God greatly loves you. Remember that. Finally, fourth, um, Gabriel tells us here about how we come to understand God and his will for us, which is a good thing, right? He tells Daniel in verse 22 that the purpose of his coming was to give Daniel insight and understanding. Okay. So at one level, understanding, having insight into God, insight into his will, uh, is, is the product of a divine gift that you know, I'm coming to give you insight and understanding. But then in the very next verse, verse 23, uh, you, in, in the Hebrew, the, these two words are imperatives. So he is commanding, uh, Gabriel is commanding Daniel... So consider the word and understand the vision, or perhaps more accurately, uh, ponder the word. Right? Consider, you know, noodle out the vision. Um, I like what theologian Ralph Davis said about this. He says that this is always the Bible's balance. A divine gift is not meant to stifle human effort, but to stimulate it. The gifts of God are not excuses for sloth, but demands for sweat. Um, see, God gives us understanding. That's why we pray before, before we, you know, before I preach, I pray uh, so that I would have understanding, you would have understanding. That it's it, it. God gives us understanding, but but we also appropriate that understanding by our own thinking. Our own study. That's why Christians have Bible studies, right? It's why we host Bible studies here. It's why our life groups discuss the sermons because we're 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 thinking through God's Word. It's why we encourage you to have a devotional life outside of you know the experience of corporate worship uh, every Sunday. It's it's how we learn. Um, it's 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 both it's both gift and action for us. Well, I think I, those are the lessons I pulled out of the, the, the meeting section uh, of this. Uh, and now let's turn to the, to the second part, the message, uh, verses 24 to 27. Uh, this is the much harder part. Um, I am not going to get into all the various interpretations here. That's essentially a semester-long course at the seminary. Um, if you're interested in, in, in various ways to interpret this vision, um, I would encourage you to start by looking at something relatively simple and straightforward. The ESV Study Bible, for example, has good notes um, on this, uh, summarizing uh, the, so sort of the major ways to in, that this vision gets interpreted, uh, the major points of disagreement. Um, 
But let me just say before we dive in, um, something I think is important, and we've already touched on it, right? Gabriel came to Daniel to give him understanding, right? To help him understand. He didn't come to, to mystify him, right? He didn't come to confuse him. Uh, and, and that's really important for us to remember. Uh, and it really should guide the way we approach this. If, if this was meant to be understandable to Daniel, then it's, then it's understandable for us, right? Uh, now, and, and as, as I've considered it, prayed about it, studied it, um, what I've realized is that even where we disagree, we, where we might disagree on one point or another uh, of this, the main, the main points, the main thrust, the main truths that are, that are, uh, are still communicated, right? There's not, there's not uh, the main points come through is, is, is my point. I think, uh, so, so, and that's where I want to, uh, so I'm going to focus not so much on the details where we disagree, or where we might disagree, but really on the, the, the thrust of the vision, the main, main truths that the vision is intended to communicate. Um, so I'm just going to walk through this. I'm going to give you my best take on it. That's all it is. And I hold it humbly, right? Um, and what I'll also do as I walk, go walk through it is to give you points of application because this is not just a prophetic curiosity. Too often we treat these things as just like that. You know, some prophetic curiosity to, you know, sort of tinker with and have fun with. Uh, but it's more of a... a it, it, but but th- look, this is God speaking to us through his messenger. He's, it's God telling Daniel, God telling us something here about what he's done, what he's going to do. And that matters. I mean, that's going to affect... Uh, you know, how you think and how you act today and tomorrow. Okay. So here we go. Verse 24. Uh, it starts right off um, with, uh, with a word of encouragement. Uh, it's encouragement to Daniel and it's an encouragement to, to you and to me. He's, Daniel is told, 70 weeks are decreed about your people in your holy city. Remember, he's on his knees praying right now for mercy. For all he knows, God's going to judge Israel. At this point, he doesn't know if Israel's got a future. They're so messed up, so disobedient, so rebellious, right? He's pleading for mercy. Lord, forgive us. Let us go, let us go back. Let us rebuild. Um, he, he has no clue at this point that that's going to happen until the very first words uh, out of Gabriel's mouth. You've got a future. I've decreed 70 weeks for my people here. That's, you know, bottom line, God isn't writing his people off. It's the first thing Daniel learns, even though they're a mess, even though they are sinners. They've got this decreed future. And friends, remember, God does not write you off either. You, Christian, have a decreed future. Listen, if you come to him, uh, as, no matter what you've done in the past, no matter what you're doing now, uh, if you come to him in confession, in repentance, you come to him asking for mercy, 
you, you come asking for the forgiveness that comes through Jesus' sacrifice, you will receive mercy and forgiveness, not judgment. You will have a future. And you know that even more surely than Daniel did because God's judgment for your sin has already been laid on Jesus. Right. So the way is open for mercy. Your sin, the debt, the justice debt created by your mess has already been paid by Jesus. Okay. The next thing we learn in verse 24, so we've got this decreed future. Uh, is, is also encouraging. It's also a little surprising. What's Daniel concerned about? What's he praying about? He's saying, he's presenting my plea before the Lord, my God, for the holy hill of my God, right? He's praying about Mount Zion. He's praying about Jerusalem. Want to go back, want to build Jerusalem, want to rebuild the temple. That's all he's thinking about, right? And, and God just blows his mind, He says, okay, I've got this decreed future, this 70-week decreed future for my people of Israel, and here's why. Here's why I'm giving them that future. Here's what I'm going to accomplish through my people in those 70 weeks. look, Look at that, verse 24. Finish the transgression. Put an end to sin. Atone for iniquity. Bring in everlasting righteousness. Seal both vision and profit. That means... That's a Hebrew way of saying to ratify or confirm what, what, what the prophets have said. Um, and finally, to anoint a most holy place. That's, that's a, actually, the Hebrew literally says to anoint a holy of holies. Now, look at that list. That, this is a lot bigger than building a temple on the, you know, in Jerusalem. It's a lot bigger than just rebuilding the city, right? These are all end-time realities, aren't they? Right? Putting an end to sin, right? And if, and if sin is at an end, death is at an end, right? Because death is, is, is the byproduct uh, of sin. Uh, the, to have the, you know, the, the prophetic words confirmed and ratified, when does that fully happen? That happens at the end of history. Uh, to bring in everlasting righteousness that's an end time reality you know you know we're we're you know still reading about unjust wars in eastern europe and supermarket shootings in buffalo and he said god is saying look these 70 but the purpose of these 70 weeks is for me to bring in everlasting righteousness put an end to sin all this stuff it's end time stuff. Uh, so he's talking about not just reestablishing Jerusalem. That's part of it. But it's much bigger. He's talking about rebuilding or, or, or establishing finally his final kingdom, his worldwide kingdom. It's not just the holy hill of Mount Zion. It, is, it, it goes out from there and covers the world. Um, here's the takeaway. Your prayers and my prayers are almost always too small. We think we know what's best. We think we know what's right. We think we know how the future should go. At least I do. 
And I pray that the Lord would direct the future like I have figured it out. Um, But the fact is, uh, God is generally doing something we haven't imagined or perhaps can't even imagine. Um, and, and, and therein is, is a reminder, and, and I hope a word of encouragement, that we shouldn't, we shouldn't allow ourselves to get you know, upset or discouraged or despairing when, when our lives or when the lives, uh, when, when our you know, national life or, or whatever, don't, don't, those things don't work out as we expect them to. We don't, they're not working out as we think they should. Um, there's, things aren't going as we planned. Um, life, when, when life isn't making sense, Right? Don't get, we, we, we shouldn't get too upset. Why? Because God is doing, you know, God's got another agenda. It's a bigger agenda. And it's one that we don't, we may not, and probably don't fully understand. Rem- Let me give you a great quote. I've used this before, but it, it sort of expresses this truth on an, at the individual level. It's a quote from C.S. Lewis out of Mere Christianity, where he he, he, he likens you and me to a house. Uh, he says, imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps, you can understand what he's doing. He's getting the drains right, stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. You knew that those jobs needed doing, and so you're not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abominably and does not seem to make any sense. What on earth is God up to? The explanation is that he's building a quite different house from the one you thought of. Throwing out a new wing here, putting on an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were being made into a decent little cottage, but God is building a palace because he intends to come and live in it himself. Daniel discovered that here uh, praying for Jerusalem, praying that they could go and rebuild and rebuild the sanctuary. And God says, yes, but that's just step one of, of a worldwide project right, that's going to happen in these 70 weeks. Uh, okay, then in verse 25, we learned that these 70 weeks has three parts to it. It's broken out in three different segments, right? First, there's a period of seven weeks uh, that starts when the royal decree is issued to rebuild Jerusalem. Uh, that's King Cyrus. He, he, he's, uh, uh, he issues that decree. If you want to read about that, it's in Ezra chapter 1. Um, and then there's a second period of 62 weeks. See that? 62 plus 7 is 69. Um, now, in verse 25 at this point, there's a punctuation issue. Uh, the ESV punctuates this one way New American Standard, NIV, King James punctuates it another way we think what's what's going on there well first of all you have to know that Hebrew the original Hebrew has no punctuation at all in fact you were lucky if they give you you spaces between the words Um, so there's no punctuation so punctuation is a judgment call Um, 
and uh, I, on balance, I think the, that the uh, way the NASB does it, the New American Standard, is, pr- is probably better than the way ESV does it. I think the ESV may have the alternate way in the footnote, um, which says that basically you've got this seven-week period in which probably the, the temple is built, is rebuilt, and then, but it's combined with the 62 weeks. And so in this combined seven-week and 62-week period, you've got the temple built and then being built again in a grander way, all of that happening in a time of trouble, right, turbulent times. And then at the end of the combined 69-week period, the 7 and the 62, uh, this... uh, 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 anointed one, a prince, comes on the scene. Now, if, if it's different, if it's like DSV, you know, small difference. I mean, I don't, it's not going to make, it's not going to change the bottom line uh, of this vision. But, um, so at the end of the 69 weeks, as I read it, uh, the, 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 this anointed prince shows up. Now, that word in Hebrew, the anointed, is Mashiach, from which we get Messiah. Uh, and we know now that's Jesus, right? This anointed one showing up at the end of the 69 weeks is, is, is Jesus Christ. And no sooner does Jesus come on the scene that we learn in verse 26 that he's cut off and left with nothing. Well, that's a fairly clear reference, it would seem, to the atoning, sacrificial, covenantal death uh, of Jesus, who when he was sacrificed uh, on our behalf, was left with nothing, right? Um, naked, penniless, buried in a borrowed grave, so that we could be clothed and wealthy and live forever. So, by now, I think you've probably realized that this 70 weeks can't be literal, right? Is all this going to happen in 70 weeks? No, it's not. I, I, I don't take these weeks, the, this reference to be a literal 70 weeks. In fact, the Hebrew doesn't say 70 weeks. It says 77s, literally. Um, that could mean 70 weeks, but it could also mean other things. And I'm, 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 I can't get into the analysis, the Hebrew analysis. I, so I had it in here, and it, it, began, it really began to sound like a seminary lecture. I was putting myself to sleep. Uh, but let, I'll just drop you to the bottom line. It, it, what, what, what we've got here is, is a timing scheme that we as Gentiles... You know, not as not as familiar with the Old Testament, probably don't understand coming out of the shoot. But a timing scheme that Daniel, uh, a man steeped in in the Hebrew Scriptures, would 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 almost certainly have understood, because what he's describing here are are the, the, with the seven sevens is is literally a jubilee era. You know the the. You know, every at the end of every seven sevens, right? Seven, um, seven. Uh, what is it? Seven. I'm, I'm. My math is getting screwed up here. Um, every forty-nine years, 
there was a jubilee. The last year was the jubilee year. This is in Leviticus 25 and 26. Uh, jubilee year is an amazing thing in, in the Hebrew scriptures. It's, it's, it's an awesome thing. Um, it's, it, 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 every 49 years, every seven sevens, 49 years, uh, jubilee would happen. And what, what happens? Slaves get redeemed and released, given freedom. Uh, Debts get uh, forgiven. Uh, Land that has been sold or mortgage gets returned. It's It's just a remarkable kind of year of complete restoration. And, and redemption and release and freedom. It's like a fresh start. Um, and uh, it's... So what we really have here described, it, 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 it my take, is that we've got ten jubilee eras. The 70 weeks amounts to ten jubilee Periods, and ten is an intensifier, right? We say, you know, in English, we say, oh, you know, that's a million times better than, you know, in and out's a million times better than five guys, right? We, yes, yeah, sorry, it was an illustration. I'm not right. We use we use a million as an intensifier, right? Well, in in the Hebrew language, often they would use ten as an intensifier, so. What it, what what's being communicated here isn't so much chronological, which is the way we think, right? But it's it's not so much chronological as it is theological. What what Gabriel is announcing here is that God is moving history, right? To, in in what he's defined as seventy sevens. Toward an ultimate super jubilee, right? A jubilee times ten uh, at, at some point in the future, a time of freedom and joy and res- restoration and redemption beyond our wildest dreams. That's the seventieth week, or the seventieth seven. And again, it's a. It, I think Daniel would have picked this up. He he understands that sort of all the significance of these numbers and and understands the the, the sabbatical the system and and the uh, and jubilee uh, and we're we're sitting here trying to count the years and trying to figure it out when that when that's not the point the point is this is moving to uh, a super jubilee at some undefined point in the future undefined as far as we're, we know. Defined totally by God knows it's when it's happening. Okay, um, and again, that's a reference to the end times. Uh, you know, the jubilee year was a is a beautiful picture of the ultimate kingdom, right? When 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 debts are relieved and 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 we are restored and made new, it's it's a gorgeous picture of of uh, the la- you know the, the the coming kingdom. Uh, the return of Jesus to reign over a restored heaven and earth. Okay, well, so I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself here a little bit. So I'm, that was just ma- making the point here that we're, we're, as we're moving through this, understand that the 70 weeks we've got, we've now, got, you know, we're at the end of 69 weeks. 
we're not talking about something literal. We're, and at the end of the 69th week, we learn that uh, you know, Jesus shows up, Jesus is cut off uh, so that we could be grafted in. And, and then verse 27, uh, it mentions, it, it expands on that. It, it says that he, um, uh, he, sh- he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. Again, that's a, that's a, the, the word could be translated there. Rather than make a strong covenant, it's, it's, you, it can also, and I think it's better translated, like confirm or ratify a covenant. Uh, and I think what, what, this, what we've got a reference here in verse 27 to is, is what Jesus did by his death. Uh, that when, when Jesus died, he was confirming and bringing into effect, ratifying the new covenant. Right? The, the, the new covenant that God had promised his people, promised Israel, and, and by extension us, uh, right? that, that uh, the day would come when, Jeremiah says the day would come when God's going to make a new covenant and we're going to get new hearts and, and, and our sin is going to be removed from us as far as the east is from the west and we're, and we're not going to, that's not going to, sin is not going to be a, a part of our reality anymore and we will be his people and he will be our God forever, right? And that's what verse 27 is talking about. That's what Jesus does at the cross. He ratifies the new covenant. He is removing sin uh, as far as the east is from the west and, and bringing, us, uh, bringing us in uh, to be God's people. Um, but I, I guess the bottom line truth here is that, right, that none of this comes easy. Right? I, I hope you've noticed that as we've moved through 69 weeks, it's all been hard. And that's all past for us, right? Um, the, the, um, and, and, then it, and then it goes on even into the 70th week, the last week. We learn that God's people are going to disobey God again, uh, resulting in yet another destruction, actually the... the Kind of the, another destruction of Jerusalem and the final destruction of the temple in verses 26 and 27, um, where it says, And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. That's the people of prince to come, I take it to be God's people, uh, the, the Jews, who, who are people of uh, Jesus, even though many of them haven't recognized it yet, uh, they are, uh, and uh, uh, and so in judgment, um, uh, the the temple is is destroyed in uh, seventy A.D. Halfway through the seventieth week, see that, um, and for half the week, uh, he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. I take that as God putting an end to sacrifice and offering, meaning he, the, he just, the temple gets destroyed. So there is no more sacrifice and offering as, uh, um, because the temple was destroyed uh, in AD 70 uh, as an act of, of judgment. Um, and um, so all of that's past, So up to the 70th, middle of the 70th week, we're talking past realities. Right? Where are we? 
Well, we live in the last half of the 70th week. That's, that's what's where we are right now, on, according to this time scheme that Gabriel has laid out, um, which means we're in the end times, right? We're, we're close. We're in the last half of this last seven uh, and uh, after the destruction of the temple. But the point is that there's, there's going to continue to be trouble and war and desolation. Verse 26 says, to the end there shall be war. That's pretty clear. It's distressingly clear. Um, and it doesn't get any easier because at some point in this second half that we're living in, there's going to be a climax of evil. What's going to happen? The desolator shows up. Sounds like the Terminator, right? The desolator. Forgotten he was called that here. This is the Antichrist. Um, this is a reference to the Antichrist who's going to show up. And we know, of course, that he's going to make life very hard. Um, there's going to be suffering and hurt and loss. But as Martin Luther says, his doom is sure. Right? His, his end is already decreed. He doesn't win. Right At the appointed time, at his appointed time, it says in verse 27, God's going to pour out his decreed end on the desolator, on the Antichrist. In Revelation language, uh, God is going to cast Antichrist into the lake of fire. God wins and jubilee, super jubilee, begins. So here's the final takeaway thought. Um, in some ways, this vision of the future is an amazingly encouraging, right? And, um, and uplifting as we see where history is moving. In another way, this vision of, the, of history is difficult to hear. And I'm sure it was difficult for Daniel um, to hear that you know, he's going to go and, and rebuild Jerusalem, rebuild the temple, and it's, at some point it's going to get all destroyed again. That would have been hard to hear uh, for him. Um, but what we're hearing here is that our future, the, the future here in this 70th week, is going to be characterized by continuing trial, trouble, trauma, war. And, and, the, and the problem is when those things happen, uh, you know, you and I get discouraged, we get despairing, we get confused. And, it's, and it becomes easier to think that maybe God's not here, maybe God doesn't care, maybe God isn't in control. But friends, the vision is clear, right? It's, it, you know, it, it, despite all the mystery, the vision's clear. Um, the future is planned. God is involved from past, present, and future. Everything is decreed. He's working out his plan. Um, and we know how it ends. And it's a good ending. It ends in this in Jubilee. Um, and remember this, even as we go through it, even as we face the inevitable pain and suffering like we've experienced in, 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 in uh, Buffalo just yesterday, um, we, you and I are never going to go through anything that Jesus Christ has not already gone through for us in some 
mysteriously, even more intensive way. Right? God isn't aloof from the suffering he warns us about here. He entered it. He entered our trouble. He entered our trauma. He entered our pain. He entered even your death and beat it. Right? So now you live here in this last half of the 70th week and death no longer has a hold on you. Death holds no fear for you. It has no mastery over you. Jesus has destroyed it. What this underscores, I think, bottom, and I'll finish with this, is that Jesus, Jesus is our only hope in, in a world and a future that's going to be in many ways dark. Um, he's our only hope. You could take guns away all day, but until you change that young man's heart, until you make him a new person, we're going to have hate and racism and murder. It's only, friends, by clinging in faith to Jesus and what he did for you and living and dying and being raised and ascending to his throne that you are going to live beyond your dying and you are going to get to the jubilee of all jubilees and know an eternal future on a renewed earth where in revelation language the Lord will wipe away every tear from your eyes and death shall be no more neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things will have passed away. The unjust things are going, to, are going to meet with justice. Unrighteousness is going to meet with righteousness. Evil is going to be overcome by good. And everything sad will in that jubilee come untrue. May that encourage you guys to live with hope even in this present darkness. Okay, let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. I know... Uh, this, reson- this interpretation that I just laid out, Lord, resonates with some and it doesn't resonate with others. It's, it's perhaps different than what they've been taught in terms of the details. But Lord, we, we rest in the, in the main truths here that you're moving history towards this, this wonderful end um, and, uh, and that you have come and affected it by the gift of your son Jesus, this anointed one, this Mashiach for us. Help us to trust him, Lord. Give us hope in the darkness. Um, We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to Ted Hamilton, Senior Pastor of New Life Presbyterian Church, Escondido. Please visit us in Escondido, California, or online at newlifepca.com. New Life Presbyterian Church Escondido reserves all copyrights as applicable by law. Thank you for listening.